All right. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Transaction. My name is Paul Hadfield, and with me as my guest is James Shepard, which you probably don't hear a lot of, James. Normally, <laughs> no, the, other, really normally the other way around. So uh, if anybody's been in the payments industry, they've probably heard of James Shepard. They've seen James Shepard. James has been making content for, uh, I think, would you tell me now, 13 years, James? Is that right? Yeah, yep, 13 years. 13 years. And as an industry veteran myself, I remember seeing James in those early days and being like, who is this guy? <laughs> um, which I think almost anybody that makes a, a effort to create a lot of content gets that right in the beginning. Like who's yeah. this guy that thinks he's someone that's just gonna make all this content. Right. And here we are 13 years later and, and James is, is, you become really like the voice of the payments business, really. Um, and a, a trusted resource for ISOs and agents, which is now needed more than ever, in my opinion. So anyway, I wanted to have you on. I've been a guest on your show a couple of times. Yeah. And I thought it would be awesome to share your story about how you got into the industry, where you came from, and kind of what led you to creating content and um, building your business today. Sure. Well, first of all, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, like you said, it's uh, a bit unusual for me. I, I enjoy, uh, you know, doing the interviews, but I think I actually like being the interviewee as well. It's a lot of fun too. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So 13 years ago, uh, I had just left a really cushy corporate job where I was a regional sales director for Service Master in Chicago. Um, my wife and I uh, moved to central Pennsylvania where she's from. I wanted a little bit of a slower paced life than my uh, hour and 25 minute one way commute in Chicago. So that was kind of the, the rationale. Uh, however, so I assume you were living yeah. in the suburbs of Chicago and then I was, into the city? yeah, we were in, we were actually in the state of Indiana. So we were like Northwest Indiana and we were driving, wow. to, I was driving to the North side of Chicago. Um, and uh, yeah, so we moved out here and I'm like, okay, here I am. I'm sure there's lots of opportunity here in rural central Pennsylvania for a regional sales director, right? Uh, what I was thinking, I'm not sure, but there wasn't very much opportunity. So I was like, okay, I got to like start looking for a real job. And um, I started getting some uh, recruiting people reaching out from monster.com, et cetera, for uh, credit card processing sales. And my initial reaction was, well, this isn't a real job, but maybe it'll keep me busy and keep the lights on while I find a real job, you know? Uh, so <clears throat> I jumped in and, and I should mention also that when I was doing the regional sales job in Chicago, uh, I also had a real estate company. I had a company where we set up Christmas lights for wealthy clients. Um, I had, anyway, I had a lot of different, I've always been a serial entrepreneur as well. So. I've always wondered about those Christmas light companies. Yeah. Very profitable I mean, it's, actually. It's a lot of work. So you did exactly my thoughts, right? Yeah, you can make yeah, a lot it, of money, but labor intensive. Yeah, and, and actually, the company still exists. It's uh, Christmas Creations. Uh, my I sold it to my brother-in-law and sister when I left. He was my operations guy. So anyway, another whole other story. But he took that yeah, over yeah, yeah. and then did a good job. So anyway, so we came out here. I'm like, okay, I'll try this credit card processing thing. I signed up with a company who will remain nameless, but let's just say that they no longer exist because they got shut down. And uh, terrible company, actually. They trained me on like a two-hour webinar, and their entri entire training was how to lease uh, a $125 terminal to a business owner for $99 a month for 60 months. Now, bear in mind, I had no idea the terminal cost 125 bucks, right? Like they actually even put their own sticker on the bottom to say it was something different than what it was yeah, um, yeah. just so that I couldn't look it up. So anyway, um, after selling- this, you know, is, this is what year, James? Oh my, so it's been 13 years ago, 2009, I guess, something like that. Got it, got it. Yeah. Um, and so- 
you know, after I sold like 20 unsuspecting business owners on this $99 a month, you know, 60 month lease that I, that I honestly thought was a great deal. I had no idea that it was a terrible deal. Um, so I sold them on this and I got into the industry and I was like, okay, I can sell anything. And so I'm like, all right, cool. I can sell this. But what struck me about the industry really quickly was that the experience was terrible for everybody. As a salesperson, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no training. I had no idea what I was talking about. The, the business owners had no idea what, anything about it either. Nobody knew how to read their processing statement. Um, and so that just really bugged me. And it, it was one of these things where very quickly I'm like, you know, this is a problem that I think I can at least move the needle on. Uh, obviously for myself, I can become an expert. I know how to do that. I just got to dig and I got to find information. And then as I found that information, I'm, you know, my background is a sales trainer. So I'm like, okay, I got to share this. If I'm having a hard time finding this, I'm sure everybody else is. So I started a YouTube channel before it was cool to have a YouTube channel. Um, and I was like, all right, let's, let's share this. Maybe there's other people searching and, and kind of the rest is history there where, yeah, a lot of people were searching and I was putting the information out there. That's awesome. So when, um, when you, when you transitioned into creating content, were you, were you still selling or did you kind of make that, you know, being, being a trainer educator in the industry, did that quickly become your full-time passion? No, I mean, I, I sold a merchant, uh, two days ago. <laughs> so, okay. uh, yeah. So, um, I certainly don't sell very much now. Uh, but yeah. yeah. So when I first started making the content, I was full-time selling, you know, myself, I was out, you know, selling merchant accounts. Um, I continued on that path for about three years, about actually about a year and a half into it. I hired my first employee, uh, which was my sister-in-law who was my part-time assistant to do back then it was actual paperwork. You know, it wasn't like on your iPad. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of paperwork. <clears throat> there was a lot of scheduling, follow-up. I'm not a detail person. Uh, and so I hired her. Uh, so she worked part-time. She still works for me now, um, 12 years later, and uh, does all kinds of things for me now. Um, back then, she I had to show her how to turn the computer on, you know, and so really trained a lot of training there. So uh, she started working for me. Then I hired somebody else to do my installations probably a few months later. So about three years in, I had a really good local ISO, hundreds of active merchant accounts. I had I had a telemarketer also at that point. <clears throat> so somebody was setting appointments for me. I was talking to business owners and closing them. Angela was doing the paperwork and then somebody else was going out and doing the installations. Um, and so that's where I was at about three years in. Uh, and then that's when about three years in is when I really kind of took more of a hard transition towards the recruiting salespeople and trying to, to build my own ISO at that point. Yeah, I, so I'm sure you would agree that the fact that you're still out in the field on occasion, it just keeps you sharp, right? You can understand what's happening out there because I think, you know, in the early 2000s when I started in the, in the business, from then until, oh man, I, I mean, I don't want to necessarily put a year on it, but it was there was like a good 10-year period where things were kind of the same. Um yeah. But today with technology, it's like almost every six months, if you're not staying on top of things, you're, you're falling behind, which is, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about that. Like how, how do you see the industry moving and evolving um, mm. over these last few years? And, and where do you see it going from what you're yeah. seeing, what you're hearing from people that are following you and engaging with you? Yeah. You know, here's my thought. I, I think the industry is changing faster and slower than everybody thinks. And what I mean by that is you can't, you know, a lot of people look at the industry and say the payments industry is changing so quickly. No, it's not. There are segments that are changing quickly. There are segments that are standing still. And 
you know, when you actually get out in the field, I mean, I was, like I said, I was out a few days ago, uh, you know, just took a full day to go prospecting, which, which was driven by some changes lately with visa and dual pricing and some new things that I'm, I care about. And so whenever there's something like that, you know, I was in the midst of writing basically a book about it. And I'm like, you know, I don't, write stuff if I don't actually know what I'm writing about as a general rule. I try to avoid that. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let me, let me go validate some assumptions. And I just talked to a bunch of merchants and I, I honestly wasn't even really, I probably wound up uh, selling three or four merchant accounts total from that day, but I honestly wasn't even really going out to sell. I was going out to talk to merchants and say, what do you think about this? Like, how is this impacting your business? What are you doing about this now? You know, are you passing the cost of processing on? If so, how are you doing that? How are your customers reacting? How are you reacting? How do you like it? So those conversations led to some sales, but, um, you know, to me, a lot of the merchants, I would say half the merchants I talked to in rural central Pennsylvania, they have a standalone terminal and they're fine with it. True. And the idea of them installing a rocket launcher on their counter is not really that alluring to them. They mm-hmm. don't care about that. Now they should, they really should. Right. And you can put your head against the wall trying to convince them that they should be more organized and they should have better reporting and they should collect better data, but they don't want to, and they don't see any value in it. So you just set them up with a nicer terminal, you know, like, you know, so I think there's that piece of it. I mean, again, you know, and then the other half of the industry is, is these business owners that are like, I can't imagine not tracking my inventory. I can't imagine not having an integration with my data, you know, et cetera. And so what's happening is when I started selling, that percentage was kind of like 80, 20, like 80% standalone terminal, 20% integrated payments. Now it's like 50, 50, mm-hmm. five years from now, it's going to be 20, 80. Yep. So if all you can sell is standalone terminals or as a merchant, if you're still offering a standalone terminal, if that's what you're using, obviously that is on the way out. Mm -hmm. But I think it usually takes a little, it's a very long tail effect. You know, these, a lot of business owners want it a certain way and it it takes a while, you know, to change. Yeah. I think you make a good point there too, because as um, you know, our, our business, we try to stay very tech forward. And I think a lot of ISOs are moving in that direction or hopefully they are. But there are a lot of merchants, right? There's a lot of small business owners that are behind in technology that they actually don't, they don't want to move that far forward. Um, there's, a, there's a cafe across the street from our office that we always bring new agents, new hires to when people are at our office to show them, here's how not to operate your cafe. Here's all of the inefficiencies that they have in the ordering and payment process. And here's what we would do if we were their payments provider, their point of sale provider. The issue is the reason why we don't work with them is because they don't, they don't want to change. They, they know they could be doing it more efficiently. They know that they could use technology to their advantage um, to speed up the ordering process, eliminate this line that forms around their door during lunch. And although we know that we could help them, they're completely fine with the way that they're doing things and have no desire to change. So I, I think that, takes a little bit of understanding as the salesperson to not yeah. necessarily push people to what others are doing or to your way of thinking, but what is the best solution for them based on their appetite for technology? Well, well, and I would say even, even going deeper than that, it's not just their appetite for technology, it's their definition of success. So a small business owner, is, a small business is small for a reason. My business is not that small. The reason it's not that small is that I really care about making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. A lot of small business owners care about making great pizzas. They care about making happy customers. And so what's important is, you you know, in my experience, there's usually some kind of technology angle you can find, but you have to start by saying, 
what do you want to see different or, or what, you know, what about your business do you care about? What are you passionate about? You have to reverse engineer them. Right. And then once you find out, okay, what they really care about is making their customers super happy. Okay. How can technology do that? And if you can get that piece, they're going to be really interested in that. If, if they're saying, I'm just super frustrated that I have to be here all the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, now that's somebody that could really use a point of sale system that has a mobile reporting functionality or in some way they could log in remotely from a beach somewhere and see what's happening at their business. So I think it's more about like, what's their definition of success? Because I agree with you. I mean, and, and it's funny too, Paul, I think early on when, when all the technology came out, I spent all this time trying to talk to these business owners, like pound, you know what I mean? It's like, no, you don't understand. Like, you could be so much more profitable and so much more efficient. And they're like, but I don't want to be more profitable or efficient. I don't care about right. that. Right. Like, I just want to pass this business on to my son the same way my dad passed it on to me. And I want him to have a good living and be able to focus on his family. And it's like, actually, that's fantastic. Like, that's mm -hmm. a great definition of success. What's wrong yeah. with that? Like, right. it's just my definition of success is a bit different. And I have to recognize that mine is different from everybody else's. Great know? point. Not everybody's wired the same way. And it, it's, it's extremely important to understand that. Um, so let's, let's wrap by, um, uh, talk a little bit about your website at ccsalespro.com. Sure. Um, talk a little bit about what, um, what you're doing there, what people can find there, what resources you have there for folks in the payments industry. And also of course your, your podcast as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. So podcast, uh, just look for the merchant sales podcast. Uh, it's in all the different, you know, Stitcher, the podcast app, et cetera, et cetera. Um, ccsalespro.com is where we have our blog. Uh, it's where we have coaching programs and, um, and training. Uh, we post pretty much everything there. Um, and then we also have ISOAMP. Uh, so we have several different companies, different divisions. It's all part of CC Sales Pro, but we have a statement analysis company as well. Uh, so yeah, if you want to look up my stuff, just go to LinkedIn, go to James Shepard. You can find me there. Go to Google, search for how to sell credit card processing. Same thing on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, if you really want to get access to good resources, I would check out ccsalespro.com or getisoamp.com. And those are kind of our two primary websites. I, I can't recommend your uh, your content enough, James, to, to put another feather in your cap. I think every time you put out a podcast or a blog, I have agents and ISOs sending me your articles and saying, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, you, you put one out recently about cash discounting. I can't tell you how many texts I got. Like, what are your thoughts on this? I ended up just starting to copy and paste my response to like the ISOs without reaching out to me. Um, or like, yeah. Hey, listen to this podcast, start at, you know, 15 minutes and 10 seconds in. And I'm like, Oh, it's James's pot. Yeah. Right. So, um, right. keep up the great work, man. And, um, I, I, uh, I really appreciate the, the positive impact that you continue to have on the industry. Awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your, for your time. And thanks for allowing me to be on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, buddy.